Come on, push it, push it, man. I know how to talk to people. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. What sort of talk is that? Modern talk? Let him have it, Chris. 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 Bubble. Switch for Suicide. I have an idea now. First name, Mr. Name, Last name, I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Come on, baby. Show the man your power, baby. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! Showtime! Won't you smile, blow me a kiss for this one. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. 
We really just need you to tap the mics and say, test, test. <laughs> You are not sleepy or tired, ever. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm a little sleepy. I'm a little tired. It's me, Chris T, here on thehoundnyc.com, where every Sunday you got hound hounds. 3 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by Mark and Miriam, the doo-wop chop shop of the air, crashing the party. Woohoo! And an aerial view every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, replays Tuesdays, 6 p.m., and in between those two, it becomes a podcast available wherever you get your goddamn podcasts. I don't know where that is, but, you know, Apple and Amazon, all the big tech giants that if you had just invested $1,000 back in 2011, you'd be a millionaire now, schmuck. Whoopsie-daisy! <laughs> I'm so tired of reading those articles. If you had invested $1,000 in Apple stock in 2011, you'd have fuck you money now. Oh, oh, Jesus. Really? Thanks. Hey, uh, this almost never happens, but there's kind of breaking news here on Aerial View. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan, who was named that before there was a Duran Duran, has been uh, recommended for uh, release to parole. After 50 years in prison for assassinating Robert F. Kennedy. Now, it's still up to Governor Gavin Newsom, and who knows what's going to happen if uh, he gets recalled. But he's on the verge of a uh, recall vote, which he could easily lose. And then um, some complete maniac named Larry Elder might become uh, governor of California, Republican pretty interesting how that thing's playing out. Uh, I'm going to welcome Keith Hartel in just a few moments. I just want to take a look at the news real fast, what we like to call an upside-down update. And uh, not only is Sirhan Sirhan in the news, they have new figures on the suicide bombing outside the uh, airport. In Afghanistan, and the death toll now exceeds 170 people in Kabul, and uh, that includes 13 Marines and a whole bunch of people who had dual citizenship, Afghani Americans. So we don't know what that number is quite yet. It doesn't matter. People are dead, including a 20-year-old Marine, and of course, uh, folks are on the right side of the aisle and making political hay out of this as you knew they would. And at this point, let's uh, welcome Keith Hartel, who contacted me back channel the other day and said, hey, I'd like to like to join you on Aerial View. I got some things I'd like to say. Keith, you there? Yeah, I got some things I'd like I to say. I got some things I'd like to say. Yes, I do. Well, uh... I- 
the, what's the latest, by the way? I think Kevin McCarthy was calling for investigation, saying essentially when, he didn't even say if, but when the GOP wins back the House, there's going to be like never-ending investigations into the Afghanistan withdrawal. That's also news right now. Yeah, um, that I had not even heard. Yeah, hashtag Benghazi. They're going to Benghazi this. Uh, Yeah, that's, uh, I find that completely unsurprising. Yeah, well, also, here's the thing about Kevin McCarthy. He not only now is criticizing how the withdrawal is going or went, but was also one of the people saying we should stay there. So uh, I, I don't know. It's like he wants it both ways. Well, that really gets into my fucking problem here, man. Well? Is, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. It's like this. You see, um, for years now we've been talking about, like, let's say, start with um, the primaries and uh, and, and the press is um, delegitimizing Tulsi Gabbard. And, and there was a point where I was saying, like, the way that they're treating her, because she was so, you know, bottom tier. There was never a threat of her getting any kind of traction. But they were treating her in a way that meant to delegitimize her on every level, just to que- completely discredit anything she would ever say. Because all she ever said was, yeah, we shouldn't be in these wars, like the one in Afghanistan from 20 years ago. We shouldn't be there. And, you know, so... So it was like the anti-war message. Now, now even going back before that, there, there's a old old um, a speech I heard Ron Paul in like 2011, and he's just like, yeah, you know, they're just going to keep us in Afghanistan forever. This is stupid. Um, they're lying to us. Um, this is never ending. It's not getting better there. It's not going to be better in 10 years. And basically, he predicted right now to the to the you know to the letter. And then you know, if you look back. Who did they want to get rid of? You know, you had um, Ron Paul running, um, Dennis Kucinich, um, Mike Ravel. All those guys, I think, I'm confused about Ron Paul. might have been 2012, but the other two were 2008. Every single person that's ever been an anti-war candidate, they laugh them off the fucking stage and make them look like a crazy person. And they do it systematically. It's it's the only, like, being an anti-war politician, is the that is outside the Overton fucking window, 100%. So when Trump comes in, um, this is was both in the um, in the beginning of Michael Wolff's first book. Yes, about Trump. The first thing that happens is Trump goes golfing with Lindsey Graham, and he's like, "Yeah, I really can't wait to take the troops out of Afghanistan because everybody wants that. Yeah, that, yep, that's a good idea." And Lindsey Graham explains to him that he can't do it, and he said, "Here's why you can't do it: because if you do it, the next 9/11 comes out of there, and it's on you." Now. In Bob Woodward's book about Trump, um, among Trump's many, you know, his his, his main um, problematic aspect of his personality with regard to the people he had to work with is that they just couldn't get him to listen to reason. And the thing that the generals couldn't, that, that drove them nuts with Trump, is they could not convince him why we had to stay in Afghanistan. And here's the thing, is they fucking did convince him. They scared him. They scared him. He wanted to do it before the election. And they scared him out of it. And the way they scared him is they made him know that the way that Biden is being treated right now as the guy that fucking blew it. And it's his fault. It's on his hands. He's incompetent. Maybe we should impeach him. All that shit. Investigate. They were going to do it to Trump. And Trump was scared of it. And Biden, I don't know why he wasn't. 
you know what I mean? Like I'm not giving him, I'm, I'm not giving him any well, particular. Let me, let me, let me take, credit, a, but... let me take a stab at that. Let me take a guess at that. Yeah. Uh, because leaving Afghanistan is supported by a large margin of both sides of the political mm-hmm. aisle. Democrats and Republicans all agree we should get mm-hmm. the hell out of Afghanistan. So now, whether or not it's a disagreement on how to do it, that's uh, certainly a, a legitimate question. But there's no disagreement on this has gone on too long and let's get the hell out. Right. Now, here's the weird thing is that in the news media, there is complete disagreement. I mean, it's just the opposite to them. There was a thing. I mean, I should have the sources to cite Glenn Greenwald citing this guy, Judd Lagoon, who cited this guy. Who's, but there, there, there's a, a dude who, who said his, his job is he books people to go on the talk shows, you know, to, you know, whatever, talk the issues. Mm-hmm. And yes. the whole thing, this was from last week, um, was that he wanted, he was offering up people to just go on and explain why um, the, the Afghanistan withdrawal was a good thing. Not, not to argue that it was being done correctly or that, that it wasn't fucked up, but just to, in general, he had a bunch of people that speak on behalf of, no, now is the right time to leave as a basic, you know, predicate of, of argument. And he said that not only were they not booking the people, they weren't calling them back. Like they didn't. And you didn't. You have not seen one person on any of them pundit shows. Just you know, like. Well, now I have to back backtrack again. It's like the tone of coverage of Trump. You know, it was very hostile. And when he wanted to get out of Afghanistan, they were saying it was really easy for them to say, like, he doesn't know anything. He's insane. He doesn't care about anything. He he has no long term thinking. And. Uh, we, we're going to even try to pass a rule that he can't even pull out of Afghanistan unilaterally. They, they were actually doing that to Trump. But when Biden comes in, they were really very accommodating and, and solicitous and really having his back, like really to, to, to an absurd degree, every step of his presidency until this. And all of a sudden, no one, no one wants to fucking, ex, you know, make an excuse for him, like at all for anything. And it's it's um, it's an incredible thing to see, because to me, it just it proves something so solid that it's like you just watch the press turn on a guy. And the reason what's happening to Biden now is what Trump was afraid of. And it's what fucking Obama was afraid of is what's happening to Biden. And Biden doesn't give a fuck because he's like, you can't kill me. I'm already dead. I'm going to die tomorrow. Whatever. Mm -hmm. My family, my good son, he's already dead. It doesn't matter. He's got nothing to lose. Let's drill down on the press when you say the press turning on him. Which press? Because so far, the coverage in the Times, uh, except for some op-ed pieces, they're not dogpiling on the pony that badly. They're not, you know, they're not busting his balls over this. Uh, so where? Where are you seeing the ball busting of Biden going? Here, here, I'll, I'll explain. Here's a perfect example. This is this is what was recounted. When it was first reported, the Washington Post, because this was given as the example of the most neutral possible press, it was Leon Panetta, who was instrumental in designing this whole fucked up thing, running it, lying to us about it for 20 years, explaining why it's not going well. So in other words, like, yeah, they, they, they don't sound like they're being very personal about it, but the press is only consulting, like, all of their sources are fucking, yes, I'm going to use those words, deep state. The deep state. <laughs> For real, though, for fucking real, the people that work for the ma- the weapons manufacturers, the people that are not elected, like they, it's it's it's, and and that's the sources because here's here's the thing is when you say that 
this what set me off is when you said Kevin McCarthy, he starts to sound like he doesn't want to leave at all. It, to me, every time you hear this reported, it is always left for you to decide whether it was a good idea to withdraw. They never say even here's a perfect this is a perfect contrast. When Trump fucking assassinated Suleimani, which I never get tired of bringing this shit up because it was the craziest thing he did. He assassinated Suleimani, which is an act of war and broke international law and uh, escalates tension with um, Iran. And supposedly he was crazy. We were afraid he's going to start a war. But he, he assassinates Suleimani. And then everyone goes on the news is like, well, first thing we got to make sure is everyone knows no one's sad that this guy got killed. And then they're like, you know, it was a choice. It might have been impulsive. He might not have went through the steps. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do. And that's how they treated Trump when he illegally assassinated a foreign leader. Now with Biden, he pulls out and they're just like, yeah, this is really fucked up. Uh, yeah, I guess they're not doing it right. And they leave it open-ended as it, as whether it's a good idea or not. So mm. there's a kind of an implication. I think there's an ongoing implication that, yeah, we can't, we're really, we're stuck. And, uh, and it, it lines up with the way when you read the way that they were working Trump, when he was in office, it's like they don't—they weren't saying we have to stay there forever. They were just explaining to him why you can't leave now or in the near future. Um, now or in the near future, yes. meaning the length of his uh, term, in other words? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. exactly. Right. So exactly. leaving Afghanistan, even though he wanted to and it would have been the right thing to do, was political calculus essentially saying it'll screw up my chances for getting reelected. Well, they scared him. I mean, it's not even... I think it's even past re-election. The thing that you're talking about with Biden, like when they say the next 9-11 will be on you, that's a, that's a way worse fucking threat than uh, re-election. That's like, you know... That, I, that yeah, I think it all feeds into the same... Trump as much as they do now. I think it goes in the same funnel, though. I think it, it's all... Well, of course it does. Yeah, of course it does. yeah it's all about uh, but, your viability, your political viability. But, but it's bigger, though. It is bigger, though, because that's a big fucking cross to bear. It's like, I'm the guy that... Well, the ball let me try, right for the let me, uh, unlike 9-11, you know, the 20th anniversary of which is upon us soon, let me try mm -hmm. to connect the dots. Because maybe yeah. in Biden's mind, and Biden being briefed by all of the, you know, the NSA and the CIA and the FBI, we, all, we know that the next terrorist attack is going to come from within the United States. There's, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that white supremacy is the real issue and and we we're not looking at uh, another isis or a taliban or uh, people trying to strike the united states i mean is is that the calculation that he's making is that you know well, this is I'll not going to become the calculation i'm making on that the the most recent terrorist attacks from the muslims that that came in america you know the little ones the ones they stamped out those guys were set up by the FBI in the first place. They pick some weirdo, they get him in a scheme, and that's what—that's why that January 6th shit just suddenly died. You, you know what I mean? Like, all yeah. of a sudden, like, no conspiracy, and everyone's like, the FBI's lying. No, they couldn't They couldn't keep it clean. So when you say the next terrorist threat will come from in America, yeah, or wherever the CIA decides it comes from, but, like, no, we don't know that. We don't know that. And and back in 9-11, in, in Cheney kept on saying it's not a matter if the next terrorist attack it's when yeah. and it didn't have that didn't happen either so i i don't like that i don't like that kind of i don't like that kind of political double speak i don't like that kind of talk keith hartel is with us like here talk. on aerial talk. view it's a phone-in talk show it's been around in one form or another since 1989 believe it or not and uh i could try to open up the phones let me see if i remember 
the phone number. Oh, my God. It's been so long since I've given it out. You know, I took most of August off just because I, 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 I'm down here trying to run a store in Saugerties, that cave at 106 Partition Street, open Friday through Sunday, noon to 5. And we have a brand new sign out front. Now you can see where we actually are. Uh, the number is 760-422-5528. 760-I-CALL-AV. That number is in Palm Springs. So if I miss your call and you get a call back, don't be surprised if it pops up. And it says Palm Springs, where it's probably 110 degrees today. Uh, but we'll have that conversation in a minute. Let's uh, finish this conversation about... Ja- well, you mentioned January 6th. So now we uh, we heard yesterday that the uh, whole bunch of Capitol Police got together to press a uh, lawsuit, civil suit, against Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump and company, and essentially saying they were fomenting insurrection. He was fomenting insurrection, and uh, that's why they got hurt. Uh, What are the odds of this civil suit having any degree of success, Keith Hartel? All right, well, this, I'm going to say zero because this is an argument I love having with people. because I have nothing to back it up except for this has never happened. Um, but they, they will never, I believe that they will not set a precedent that an ex-president can be prosecuted and found guilty of fucking anything. And it's already, it's already rolling out that way for Trump as we speak. So this thing with the cops, it seems kind of Hail Mary-ish in the first place. Okay. Um, I, you know, right. I don't, you know, and I'm not litigating the case. I'm just saying what I think the outcome is. Okay, so you're not going to have a degree of success with that suing. No, no I mean, doesn't it seem like damages. It's, it, it's silly? It gets smaller and smaller. Like this whole, they tried to make it into a thing and they weren't able to make it into the thing they tried to make it into. It's a dead giveaway because they have to keep on trying to tell people it's as bad as 9-11. But it's like when it was 9-11, you didn't have to try. You never had to tell anyone that 9-11 was as bad as, as it was. And January 6th, they have to keep on saying like, no, this is really serious. Like, remember 9-11? It was like that. No one ever was talking well, about so, so setting aside the national security apparatus of the United States and whether or not you think they're somehow uh, rigging the game, what did you think January 6th was? Well, you, did you think it was just a bunch of knuckleheads as uh, Mayor Phil Murphy of, Govern- of uh, Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey says, a bunch of knuckleheads? who got carried away with themselves and decided to storm the Capitol? Or did you do you think there was some coordination, something going on on that particular day where they truly did want to throw sand in the gears of the government? Well, I, I, mean, I mean, the first thing I would just say is I just think it was all kinds of different people on all kinds of different agendas. Um, I, I never bought into anything that was organized more than was openly organized on fucking facebook um but i would say that one thing that seems suspicious is that when like like any elements that made it seem like dangerous things can happen i am a big fucking you know um believer in the history of agent provocateurs so it's like when they don't they don't penetrate the the capitol building without being allowed to do it it they don't they don't it didn't happen or else it would have happened when they were trying to break into the supreme court they were trying harder to break into the Supreme Court during the Kavanaugh hearing. If you watch it on TV, then just the, the January 6th people, they walked in the front door like they were – it was the same rage. Like it was the same rage level. The only difference was they didn't fucking let the people into the Supreme Court building when Brett Kavanaugh got confirmed. 
but it was the same vibe, same energy, like, um, you say, you know, like, and like I said, like same rage. Well, um, I, I'm so. not clear on what you're saying. If, if, let me interpret for a minute. Are you saying that there were sympathizers among those who were guarding the building who basically were like, yeah, I'm okay with this. Or no, I think it saying- was a trap. I think it was meant, I think it was meant to have this conversation. I think they wanted it to, they want to establish a new terrorism. They want to show people. That's why they, that's why they were selling it so hard because they've been telling us, okay, I, I, I'm going to do another one of my backup things that will seem relevant in the long run. But right at like in the year 2000, I was listening to like a real like nutty, like angry conservative guy named Steve Marlsberg on late night AM radio. And he goes like, yeah, and now we're seeing reports that the next because, you know, we were out of the Cold War. And there's nothing to worry about. And uh, Gore was running against Bush and no one was really worried about things. And he goes like, and now we see that the, the next the, the big thing is going to be the threat of um, um, terrorism from the Middle East is a new thing. And well, wouldn't you know it? It turned out that turned out to be true. Now I don't want to go all nine eleven truther. I'm just saying, people were saying that that was going to be the thing, and then it turned out to be the thing. And then they even tried to promote the thing past the thing. And then they start saying like, well, you know, the next big threat it's going to be these white power groups. And January sixth, it was like that was a made for TV consumption. And I mean, I just so so when you say like let in, I don't think they were let in by by sympathetic um, police. I think there was like, I I think they were just. I mean, if you watch the video of the areas where they're let in, they just let them walk in, and um, it's 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 absurd. Like it, it's 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 it, it's and it's one of those things that like, with all these investigations, no one says like, well, whose whose job was it to stand in front of the door and not let them in? Like, I've never heard anyone ask that question. Wow. Hmm. All right. I mean, something to think about. Yeah. Well, this is a segue to the Spike Lee documentary that I believe is going to be on HBO uh, that he just cut 30 minutes out of. You said you're not a 9-11 truther, but he he apparently is. Like, he's made statements that uh, indicate that he thinks that uh, Tower 7, it was odd the way Tower 7 came down, that maybe there's something to this idea of an inside job, and then there was such a hue and cry that mm-hmm. he edited the last installment set the air on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 to cut out the 30 minutes of him sitting down with the architects and what I forget what the name of the group is, right. something like architects against the official 9-11, blah, blah, blah. So right. uh, what, what's going on there? Well, here's my thing about that. Is, is because um, I never delved into what they call trutherism, like 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 I try to figure out, like I know what happened. But what to me raises a red flag is that, okay, well, let's look at everything that we just know. Like the report sounds nonsense. Uh, we knew there was a threat. Like like we knew that we could have had bin Laden before it happened. Like we, there's a bunch of weird shit we don't, we already know. Like we know, we know that the best explanation is like a level of incompetence that even that hasn't been addressed properly, and that's the best case scenario. So, and and then we also know that the entire the Bin Laden family was blown out when they would have been the number one suspects if you're hunting for a guy. Like we know it's shady. We know we got lied to. So, so the amount of like how much you know what what really happened, what they know when, inside job something passively allowed to happen, what it was. My thing that is a red flag is that that topic of conversation is officially off limits. And Spike Lee, Spike fucking Lee making a, a, a New York 
miniseries for HBO, they're going to sit him down and say, nope, nope, you are not allowed to have this conversation. You are not allowed. Not allowed. That is, that's heavy duty. And that's... I, I'm not sure that's exactly what happened. I don't think, based on what I read, that HBO told him to take the half hour out. I think there were a lot of op-ed pieces and a lot of people on Twitter and elsewhere saying, you know, I can't believe they're going to let this go on. And he stepped but, up and took it out. But no, but no, people that believe, no, think about, I mean, I'm just saying, follow the logic just by, just follow the logic of people just that you know. If you are someone that thinks that there's, that's a valid topic and you're someone like Spike Lee, and it's like, here's some things I think is true that doesn't make America. And hey, let's go with a like a Spike Lee kind of version of like white supremacy America make them look bad. Oh, no, they don't want me to talk about this thing that makes them look bad. I don't want to upset them. Come on. You kidding me? He, he's told he had to take it out. He, that, to me, there's just that's not even a. I can't even consider the possibility that he was just like, oh, I don't want to upset anyone. <laughs> that, that, I actually made myself laugh. I got to ask a personal him. question at this point. Like, I mean, in your heart of hearts, I mean, do, do you see some kind of machinations going on behind all of this stuff? Because I, I just don't. I mean, maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I need uh, to open my eyes to things. But I... You know, there there was an extensive study, like an independent study done of how those buildings came down. And it seems to me the conclusions don't merit that, you know, they, they don't match this whole idea of like somehow the buildings being brought down as a as a inside job, as a demolition job to trigger God knows what. I mean, it, it just it's it, you know, maybe my original sin is I can't accept the whole JFK thing. We, we've talked about this before, and November 22nd is coming up yet again. I am fairly certain I would be willing to say that Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated John F. Kennedy, and then Jack Ruby, Jack Rubenstein, killed Lee Harvey Oswald, setting off this whole thing of, like, uh, the FBI did it, the mafia did it, God knows who else did it. Maybe because I can't accept all of that, I can't accept this other stuff either. This stuff about how, I mean, and and what it really does to me and why it's so troubling for me is it says that there's got to there's gotta be more to it, and sometimes there isn't. There, there's not more to it. What's to it is that a bunch of guys, 11 guys trained for a long time to figure out how to fly planes but not land them, and then ran them into the World Trade Center. I mean, I you know, so a bunch of guys, bunch of guys. They learned, to, uh, they learned how to fly planes, not land them. Yes, couldn't speak the language well. Got them situated into America. Got into flight school, and in a pile of rubble, their passport is found. Just even when you tell me just the facts, because I'm not saying I, I said from the outset, I don't have a particular. I believe this happened. I don't have a particular like. I believe the melting beams can't be possible. My yes. thing is, when they are telling you that this is not a legitimate topic of discussion, that means they don't want to talk about it. And if they don't want to talk about it, that means there's some shit they don't have a good answer for. And yeah. there's some shit that you're going to say that they don't want people thinking about or knowing. And that to me, like to me, the way that Biden was being treated by the press now, 
that that's that's just to me like lines that goes right along with everything else. It's well, like the way it's reported. Uh, yeah, what do I, they I, want us to know? What do they want us to think about? And what do they want us to not think about? Well, I think it's a little um, it's it's a little more nuanced than that because in the case of what the thir- the thirty minutes that he took out, what I read about it, I didn't see it. I didn't see the screener. So I can't say, but what I read about it, the description I read about it made it sound like it wasn't a conversation between these 9-11 truthers on one side and the scientists on the other side who have investigated this thing endlessly and have come to completely different conclusions than a bunch of instant experts, you know, who got together on Zoom. I, I don't know how they shared their ideas I, I just well, don't. I think that if he had made it a conversation between the two sides, maybe there wouldn't have been the aforementioned hue and cry. But it sounded like he essentially took thirty minutes of this four-hour documentary and turned it over to these nine eleven truthers without somebody in the room saying, "Wait a minute, fellas." Well, to think about it though, because right now you and me are expressing differences of opinion on 30 minutes of footage that we will not be allowed to see. And that is not for no reason. And when you say it sounds like this, yeah, you read it in the papers that have reviewers that work for the papers that and have the 9-11 truther is off the, if you, 9-11 truther is, it's, it's, it's another one of those like discrediting words, like anything that has that tag on it, discredited. So we don't have any ideas in that fucking thing. We don't like if you say you read what they said, it doesn't we didn't get to see it. So you and me can't even have a meaningful conversation about it. All I'm saying is when they tell a guy you have to take a half hour out of your 9-11 documentary, that's fucking Yeah, but but again, you're saying they told him he had to do it. There's no evidence of that. He did it because people were bitching about it. Basically, I don't I'm not sure. That anybody at HBO went to him and said, by the way, Spike Lee probably throws enough weight around that he had final cut on that thing. And if they were going to chop it up and edit it, he probably also had the option to remove it entirely and say, I'll take it somewhere else. I I don't I I, I disagree with your assessment that they told him. We we don't know that they told him that. When what? See, the thing is, it's even a matter of what they had to tell him because of all the money that he gets for doing commercials and shit. But here's the bottom line. When did Spike Lee ever make a decision that was like, I don't want to rock the boat? I mean, come on, man. Come on, Uh, man. I, I, I I don't know if that's the case. The case may be that he thought that he agreed with some of the criticism that this is essentially a really one sided thing you're presenting here. You're not. You're not, you know, you're not bringing in other voices. But let's move right. on. Let's move on from that because, yes. No, I, I got I to follow up that one. Well, when did Spike Lee ever once accept that a criticism of anything he ever did was legitimate? Ever. Uh, you know, we could continue this on and on. But I would say that when has the subject been something as horrifying and as deeply felt and as such a wound to the national psyche as the attacks that occurred on 9-11. There's nothing else in Spike Lee's oeuvre that comes anywhere near that whole thing. I mean, unless you're talking about his work about civil rights, then maybe. But other than that, this is, you know, it's a big deal. 20th anniversary of 9-11. You don't want to necessarily be the guy that starts giving credence 
to some of these theories that have been around for a long time now without any without any real sort of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for without somebody who we could all trust hey maybe that's the problem Keith maybe there's nobody we can all trust maybe there's nothing that we can agree on anymore maybe we're all thoroughly screwed I I don't know I I think 9/11 if this documentary what I'd like to see out of this documentary and maybe the half hour of uh, ar- architects and whoever, against the official version or whatever that group was called. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it, it was really like, I hate to use the phrase game changer. It's overused. It's cliched. Yeah. Uh, nothing has been the same since then. You could make a pretty good argument that it really was the beginning of the end for this country. I, I think America is in decline, and I don't know how it, uh, how it levels out or comes back. Uh, I don't know if coming back is even a thing. If it leveled out, that might be okay. But but we're in decline. And I don't know how you write this ship. I, I just, uh, I don't have very good feelings about the future of this country. Let me just, let me just put that out there. And yeah. I think, I think that began with 9-11 and the era of political polarization that we're in now, this idea that the other side is evil, not just wrong, but evil. And has to be not just uh, beaten at the ballot box, but uh, destroyed, stamped out, eliminated, whatever you want to say. I don't, I don't know what we do about that anymore. I, I think it's a problem that's here to stay. I think there's no coming back. Even after Donald Trump is dead and buried, there are going to be people carrying you know, his torch for him because yeah. they found out it's a winning strategy to plug into that. And so I, I don't know what you do anymore in this country i I think we're in this position of like things kind of suck and they're going to continue sucking and nothing illustrates that more to me than this idea of a pandemic something you think we would all be um working against and trying to eradicate and trying to eliminate and we're not (laughs) this is literally like you know, the external threat. We always heard, like, when there's an external threat, we'll all come together. And everybody thought the external threat would be aliens or the external threat would be, uh, you know, radical Islam Islamists coming to destroy us. I mean, the external threat is obviously COVID-19, and we can't even coalesce against that. So my my conclusion is we're kind of fucked. And it's I, I, hate to, I hate to say it. I hate to put it that way. But yeah. I, I just don't think that we we're going to come together over anything anymore. I think we like being in our silos too much and I don't know what you do about that. Well, you do your best, but see yes. one of the things I think is interesting when you, if you talk about the divisiveness over how to handle covid is now you you know you whatever amount you're following, you know, the numbers, you know, the escalating numbers or if it's, you know, the, the plague is back or how much it's back. Do you notice that it's like in the long run, the way the vaccine rollout happened, the timing of it, the, you know, cooperation versus resistance, effectiveness, lifting of laws, loosening of bands, and then, you know, the loosey-goosey, each region different. How, how, is it, how is it substantially being differently handled now than it was when Trump was in office? Like on a political level. Uh, say that again. How is it different than the way Trump was handling it? Handled differently. It's because my my thing is it's not, and they mm. want us to hate each other and be mad at each other. 
Because yeah. if people is yelling at each other about who's the asshole that won't wear a mask or get a vaccine, there's no pressure on the government to either like, okay, are we closed or are we open? Are you going to give us money if we have to lose our jobs? Like all these things that the government does not do, they have us at each other's throats over these over dumbass argument that doesn't, no one even knows, no one knows exactly what affects it the most. Like what helps you know, sometimes they're like, oh, the places that closed down did worse. The places that closed down did better. Oh, New York was still the worst, but they had the most compliance. They had the most people. Like, it's always this. And then you're always hearing this weird shit about like, oh, now the new one with the vaccine, like it spreads more, but but it's not as bad. But like, but but it's just like the messaging is that is, I guess, I think the biggest thing is that um, for me is that the messaging under Trump was so chaotic because it felt like, yeah, Trump and yet his scientists and and it's like he would just say whatever and then everyone else was shooting off the hip because it was kind of like, you know, there's no real guy except for, you know, Cuomo that we believe really knows what's up. And and now with Biden, though, it seems the same thing, like like Fauci and the CDC, is con- they've uh, contradicted the Biden administration at times. Um, Biden's given speeches. We ain't shutting down when the, the rates were going up, like kind of everything that happened was happening during Trump is the same. It just doesn't have the same. It's just a different, it's just they switched sides, but it's... It's, it's so been, confusing, my yeah. brain hurts. By the way, there was a report released this afternoon, declassified summary. Uh, this is from Vanity Fair. According to a declassified summary released Friday afternoon, a new U.S. intelligence report on the origins of COVID-19 drew no definitive conclusions, but left open the possibility that the virus leaked from a laboratory in Wuhan, China. That yeah. in itself is notable, given that until recently, the lab leak hypothesis had been largely dismissed as a conspiracy theory. Right there within the theme that Keith Hartel and I are discussing, even though this edition of Aerial View is called Moonlight Mile, that's really because of Charlie Watts. By the way, was there a conspiracy to kill Charlie Watts? I want to know the truth. No, no, no. no. I think there was a conspiracy to keep him alive. All right. Uh, so it seems like that... I- he was the Joe Biden of drums. He was the Joe Biden of drummers. Just get him, get him, just get him up there. Get him on the stage. Uh, can I continue? Oh, let me just him. let me just continue a little bit on what Vanity Fair is saying about this report. According to uh, this is a again quote. According to the declassified key takeaways issued by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the intelligence community broadly assessed that the COVID nineteen virus likely first appeared in Wuhan no later than November twenty nineteen emerged without the foreknowledge of Chinese authorities and was not developed as a bioweapon. Most agencies also agreed, though, with low confidence that the virus probably was not genetically engineered, though two agencies believe they did not have enough evidence to conclude that. But intelligence agencies split over the likeliest explanation for how it made the leap to humans, with the National Intelligence Council and four other agencies favoring a natural origin one favoring a lab leak of some kind, and three undecided. This is not good, right? I mean, this is pointing towards a lab leak. And we, we, the last time you and I spoke about this, I think we concluded, Keith, that we will probably never know, yes. considering the secrecy of the Chinese government, just what the hell happened. Uh, yeah, I would maintain. I maintain that. I also, I believe that... I believe that we won't know even if they like even if our government finds out for sure they won't tell us because it'd be too crazy. We we go crazy and and we have an important business relationship with China. Yeah, I, I agree, but I also allow for leakers within the government. So the lab leak thing might be leaked because uh, other yeah, other, other information has gotten out. 
What was that? That that's when you describe like yeah, someone leaks it out. That person ends up living in fucking Russia with Ed Snowden and getting smeared by the fucking David Brock. You know, like like whenever someone really does like a real whistleblowing, it they think they're banished or killed or something like. Yeah, it, no, so so yeah, if there was anyone that really leaked, if that ever turned into a story that got leaked, is that they really know? It would be discredited, and you know, if it was, it, it wouldn't be taken seriously. It would be somewhere, maybe not nine eleven truther, but in that general, yeah, that shit's not real. It's funny because it would, I, even though I said what I said earlier about conspiracy theories, I can sign on to this particular one because I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think. China being China, they were probably fucking around with this virus in a lab and some schmuck let it get out. I can yeah, well, see that. I don't think that's a stretch. I, I, I don't think you really have to be conspiracy minded to not trust China. Well, do you know do you know the origin of the term conspiracy theory? Uh no. Are you gonna mansplain to me? Please do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the manliest explaining. Because this is the real deal, man. This, you could look this up. This is fucking on Wikipedia. Official. This is just known fact. Is, okay. I'm doing a show. I'm not looking shit up. Was, Go ahead. It was introduced into common parlance. Okay. It was for to describe people that had questions about the Warren report. It was to discredit anyone that didn't believe the single bullet. That was where the term first came, like, to be popularized to discredit people. So when you said this doesn't sound like a conspiracy theory, it's like, yeah, because they don't want you to think that. But when they want you to think that, I mean, I'm not saying you personally. I'm just saying the public at large. They name stuff conspiracy, like, or it's like, like, look at all. I mean, this is a little off track, but it is also a little the same though. Is that the virus China stuff, like that Hunter Biden um, laptop bullshit? Because look, it, I, I don't. I, I think that was you know, um, it was obviously turned out to be real. It may or may not have been trivial what it represented, but the bottom line was in the run up to the election. We were told that that was a Russian fucking bot to expose this the Hunter laptop. And that turned out to just not be true. And it was being, once you, at that time, you know, Russia stands in for conspiracy. But but we were just told, like, oh, no, this isn't real. It's from Russia. But then later, quietly, well, it turns out it's real, but, you know, whatever. I must have missed that. It turned out it was real? When did that Absolutely. happen? I it mean, I... More than once. I heard I heard something in the news recently about Hunter Biden. I I don't I'm admittedly I, I don't give a shit. But what uh, you know? What's Not the deal? How did they prove that it was real? What? How do we know it was real? Well, because he said it was. Because they have him on tape. They have a video. For one thing, the first one was they had his laptop with him on it, having filmed himself naked, doing all kinds of crazy shit. Like he just he was very sloppy. Like he was it, like it was just. The, the, the first thing was is there was a report in the New York Post that was the week of the election that was just like they found this Hunter Biden laptop at this repair shop and it's got all this shit on it. And then the New York Post story was banned from social media. And it was very tricky, I mean, to, to, to argue because people was being like, who cares about this? It's like, well, no, maybe it's not that important. But the fact that Twitter and Facebook won't allow the New York Post to share this actual story that's weird that they won't let the story out. And then after Biden was elected, we were allowed to know, yeah, the laptop was real. He said it in the Mark Maron interview. He actually says like he doesn't remember dropping it off at the repairman or whatever. But there's even new video of him and he's in a room with a naked hooker saying like, yeah, the other night I was so fucked up and these these Russian drug dealers, like they stole my laptop. He, this had, like this was revealed like a couple weeks ago. And it's kind of like, 
it, it like no one cares because it's sort of like it's like it's like the way that that Stormy Daniels shit can only get X amount of traction. Yeah. Whatever Trump scandal is, because once you know, all right, Hunter, he, he was a drug addict, whoremonger, and, uh, well, I guess technically it is against the law to be that, but uh, who cares? And if you are on his side, you don't care. And then if you want to take a moral high ground from the other side, if you can't, if you can't make Biden people care about Hunter's laptop, you know. I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the reason we were supposed to care is because it, there was some implication on it of uh, Joe Biden getting some kind of money that uh, he wasn't supposed to get, and yeah, I don't care. Yeah. yeah, because I don't care that Hunter Biden is a drug addict and a whoremonger. Who cares, really? We were supposed to care because it compromised Joe Biden, weren't we? Supposed to care for that reason? Well. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. But um, basically, though, if, if, if they ever really dug into it, I mean, if you went the long way around it, the Trump shit was always so, I mean, everything was so corrupt. There was so much corruption out in the open on so many levels that I don't know how much of a difference what they were able to prove made. Because I look at the same thing both ways. Like, I know, I know what all the shady shit that is like there because there's, um, Joe Biden's brother, who Hunter Biden describes as his best friend, just like Google the guy. He he's been in so many like um, influence peddling scandals. It's ridiculous. And it, there was like emails between Hunter and his, his uncle, which is Biden's brother, talking about the whatever that Burisma deal was, and it said something about a kickback, which was a percentage for the big guy. Okay. And then there's an implication that that could that would have meant Biden. But that also sounds like the kind of thing of dudes that know how to, you know, not get caught, you know, like like ordering drugs, you know, yeah. you can't prove it. But, um, yeah, no, it just sounds like there was some influence peddling in that Biden. Um, it, there looks like there's reason to believe he could have been getting a piece of the action. Oh, OK. So, yeah. So that's why we're supposed to care. All right. Well, variety like doesn't even rise to Clinton level fucking uh, corruption. <laughs> Do you ever just get a headache that won't go away? What do you do about that? I uh, say again. Did you say an earache that doesn't go I away? I said a headache. Earache. Oh, a headache. Earache, my eye. Earache, my eye. Yeah. Uh, I I just think modern times kind of blow, if you ask me. And uh, no offense to you kids that have to live in modern times. Sorry about that. You, uh, not even the millennials, but the Gen Z, as they call them, who apparently. Yeah. We were watching a reality show the other night, the wife and I, and it's about young kids. You know, uh, it's a you know cooking competition. Hell, it's Hell's Kitchen, young guns, and one of the and they're all under like twenty five or something. And one of the young chefs, while they're sitting around talking and smoking cigarettes, it's amazing how many of these fuckers who want to make cooking food a living are chain smoking. How how is that going to work? <laughs> How are you going to be able to taste anything, you moron? Stop smoking. Anyway, one of them says, we understand them, meaning baby boomers, but they yeah. don't understand us. And I, oh. I I turned to the missus and I said, really? I, I don't understand them? What's to understand? They, their lives are pretty much fucked. They, they're not going to be able to buy a house. They can't afford to get married. They are going to be in debt for the rest of their lives. Uh, the job market sucks. What am I getting wrong? What am I not understanding? Well, I mean, for one, I mean, I, I would just only to say, um, 
you know, do you remember that uh, when you were like really young and you thought like you like the old people world was very simple and basic? Yes. And your young world was complicated and fascinating. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I that's true. From that kind of headspace, so I'll, uh, I'll let right. have it. Yeah, all right. Sorry, young but people. Try to fucking take everything over, though. They they didn't let us run shit when I was a kid. That's true. Yeah, they didn't let let me run a damn thing. That's why that's I was cool. in a band. Well, you know, it's funny because, like, um, you know, um, when you see some of the, like, you know, like, say that the, the this kind of variety of, like, adolescent, like, um, a lot of these, like, TikToker adolescents that are really into, like, explaining the complexity of the gender identity. Yes. Right? Now, which I, I'm cool with, but when I see it, I just see myself as a teenage punk rocker uh, forging an identity um, and deciding I was going to go against the grain. I'm getting a mohawk. I'm going to be a weirdo. I stand for this. I'm about this. I'm not that. Don't make me be like that. They'll put me in that box. But then it's like, now imagine me being that. And instead of just wanting to have people be like, ugh, when they see me, just like, now you must accept me. You must like it. You must understand it. Like, to me, that's what it's like. It's like wanting to do that whole, like, um, the adolescent rebellion thing, but then wanting to complete approval. And, and that's, that is a part of, that would be a thing I don't understand. But, but I guess I do. Yeah, I guess if you I know, don't like being power, rejected by it. society is a real character builder, and you're missing that step, kids. I'm just saying. Yeah, When you're going true. around it's saying you need to accept this thing, this identity that I present myself as, and it's tough shit if you don't like it, you need to accept it anyway. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I don't know how that builds character. I think you got to be uh, be an outcast like uh, yeah. Eric Burden and the animals sang about. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, because like when I see the kids, I just see like, OK, yeah, they're going, you know, they're, they're trying to take every generation of adolescents tries to take it up a level to shock the grownups. And, and that's proper and important. But like but then we we were we like to not have them not understand us like, no, we're in our little club. We're, well, you know, we're cool, and you're being lame. We don't want to be know. in your square, your petty morals. We reject we your. Uh, we, re- we don't care about. We your reject morals. your society, man. By the way, uh, speaking of shocking, you've been putting up a lot of lists on Facebook in the three minutes that we have left, Keith Artell. Uh, what's with all the lists about these are the best movies ever? These are the best man. How stoned are you when you're putting these things up? By the way, on a scale no, of no. one to ten. One, you know, being completely not stoned, and ten being thoroughly uh, ungodly stoned. Um, stoned, um, drinking, and uh, haven't taken a good amount of Xanax. Okay, so that's why you're like, this is the definitive list because your definitive list of rock bands began with the Dirty Mac, a temporary supergroup formed for the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus. Featuring the execrable Eric Clapton, uh, of course, John Lennon, uh, Mitch Mitchell. And who was playing drums? Mitch Mitchell. Uh, Mitch Mitchell. And who was playing bass? Keith Richards. Keith Richards on bass. Motherfucker, man. Yeah. They had the best guitar player, best lead guitar player, best bass player. It was also a great guitar player, great bass player, drummer. But there was no better rock band than that. And I was just watching. I was like, obviously, there's no better rock band than that. And then... I was watching that Bowie Elite 70 stuff. I was like, oh, well, that was Bowie's best band, and that makes that by definition the best band. And I was like, all right, I think I just have to figure out the other eight bands, and then I'll know what the best bands are, and I'm putting it out there. And then um, and then the movie thing, I thought the same thing, because uh, I figured out about lists. is like people, when they make lists, it's like they try to really think. It's like, I'm going to make a good list. I'm going to take. I'm gonna make all the considerations. 
Yes. And Not me. they screw it up? No, you just kind of shoot from the hip, as they say. Shoot from the hip. You're not going to get it right. You're not going to nail it. No, no one's going to nail it. Hey, listen, I can't believe an hour's gone by this quickly, but I will have you back again shortly. It's been too long. Thank you, Keith Hartel. Where can people find you? They can find me, uh, Keith Hartel. Oh, at Keith Hartel on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I've been popping up on the Facebook, uh, making them uh, lists and some goof-mups, you know, doing some jokes. Okay. All right. Cool. Always a pleasure. There he goes. You know, and next time we speak, we're going to get into some of his projects uh, that he's uh, undertaking right now. But i got to turn it back over to Vintage Hound Shows here on thehoundnyc.com, where Sunday's Hound Howls at 3 p.m. Eastern time, and then Crash the Party. With Mark and Miriam, the doo-wop chop shop of the year. This show will replay Tuesday at 6 p.m. And in between those two things, it becomes a podcast available wherever you get podcasts. Amazon, Apple, uh, Google, and Spotify, Stitcher, and a whole bunch of other places. So please look for Aerial View. And uh, thanks again to Keith Hartel for being my guest for uh, low this past hour here. And uh, stay tuned. More Hound Howls coming up in just a moment here. And Vintage Howl Shows as well. Eagle picks my eye. The worm, he licks my bone. Feels so suicidal. Just like killing So feel so suicidal, even hate my rock and roll.